Great. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. And I suppose one of the great joys for me about doing this podcast is that I get to speak to really interesting people about life and faith. It's great also to speak to people who are in different places on their faith journey. And today's guest on the podcast has a really interesting and powerful story to share. Jill Kenny is a writer and she's studying to be a counsellor. And we first connected when I read a really powerful article that she wrote in the Irish Times newspaper, an article all about alcohol dependency and her life in Australia. And it was an article that I found to be really honest, it was very real, and we've exchanged some emails since then. So Jill is joining me today from Australia, and I'm really thrilled, Jill, to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank um, you for inviting me, Jono. It's lovely to meet you. And you too. And, and, and I'm going to just begin by inviting you to share with everybody a little bit about yourself, about your family, where you came from, and how you ended up in Australia. You're happy to do that. Sure, no problem. So um, I was born in Ireland in 1966 um, in Cork, and that's where I spent the first 18 years of my life. And then um, I couldn't wait to get out of the place. I felt completely oppressed, um, particularly, I will say, up front right now here by the Catholic Church. It nearly drove me demented. Um, watching the um, the oppression of women all around me and I just felt hemmed in and so I, I made a, a getaway as soon as I possibly could and I headed to Paris and ironically um, I pretended to my parents I, ha I had a job lined up in Paris but I didn't actually um, but I'd heard on the gra grapevine that there was a, a foyer Notre Dame which is this um, order of nuns and if you went there and asked them to help you they'd, they'd, they'd get you a job and that's what I did. I had 50 quid in my pocket. We were still using punts back then. And I got myself a little job as an au pair. And um, and then from there, I decided I liked being out of Ireland. So I spent a year in France, learned French. Then I went to Italy for a year and I learned Italian. And then I went to Spain for a year and I learned Spanish. And then next thing I know, I'm working at Hello Magazine in London. I don't know how that happened. Well, I do, <laughs> I, but it, it happened to me. I didn't make it happen. I just landed on my feet. And then um, I went in and out of um, some um, tumultuous relationships along the way. Um, always swore I would never marry an Irishman, having grown up in a, in a family where my father was a drinker and my mother was very unhappy because of that. Um, I said I'd never marry an Irishman. <laughs> and guess what I did? <laughs> At the ripe old age of 38, I married uh, Damien, who's also from Cork, but we met in America. I was at a wedding in America and I met him there and we got married in a place called Gugambara, which is in the parish of, uh, it's where the River Lee rises in County Cork. Um, as you know, that's the river that goes through Cork. Um, but the River Lee rises in a beautiful place called Gugambara, and it's um, there's a little um, chapel there, um, the oratory of St. Finbar. And St. Finbar used to go there on retreat. Um, and it's such a beautiful place. I don't know if you've ever seen any photo. You, you will have seen the photo on my website. Oh, my yeah. God, I absolutely love Gugambara. And it was just wonderful um, to get married there with Damien. And um, 
then we ended up um, our kids were actually born in the UK um, because of my husband's work um, my do- my son was born in London um, he's called Alfie Patrick and my daughter and he's 17 and my daughter was born in Middlesbrough <laughs> of all places in the northeast of England they call it they call people who were born in Middlesbrough smoggies because it's just very, very polluted. There's a lot of paint factories there. But anyway, Matilda Mary Cronin. She was so I, I didn't take my husband's name. I'm I'm still Kenny. Um my kids have their I don't know why I didn't give them double barrel names, but anyway, that's another story. There, so Matilda Mary Cronin is my daughter, and she'll be 16 in September. And when they were um still infants under the age of two, we moved to uh Singapore en route to live in Australia and we had a very long stopover in Singapore almost three years and then we moved to Perth and we put down roots here um, in 2010 and here we are and the kids are now um, 17 and nearly 16 and they're well established here they're at school they're they're doing really well and um, my husband's still working in the same field and he's you know um, doing quite well and I've I've been a stay. I mean, I gave up my career to um, follow my husband um, with work, um, but I had the privilege and I feel very, very, very blessed that I was able to stay at home, be a stay at home mom. I didn't have the pressure of having to go out and earn money um, because I love being a mom. I'm not a great housekeeper. I don't like cleaning. I do. Um, I do enough to keep the house healthy and it's dirty enough to be happy. That's a great combination, I think. That sounds a really good combination. And uh, that's an amazing kind of journey you've had uh, all around yeah. the world. And, and um, I think that that's, it's it's very, I know Gugon Barra that you described. We used to holiday in, in West Cork and, and uh, I love, it's a lovely part of the world. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had our wedding reception, um, which was a bit of a calamity because we, 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 had our we we had our reception in a place called the Inchidoni Lodge and Spa. I know it well. And it, well. It, yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Another yeah. really stunning part of um, West Cork. But um, the journey from the church to the hotel, all the signposts were wrong, <laughs> and all our guests got lost, <laughs> and there was nobody at the reception for ages. Okay. I was mortified. And I was thinking I should have got a bus, actually. I just should have got a bus and brought everybody there because so many people got lost. And I had visitors from overseas. You know, I had people coming in from France and Spain and they had they were stopping to ask people the way. And of course, they couldn't really speak English and they were being sent around <laughs> the wrong way. Oh, my God. It was so it was just a calamity. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. And um as I say, it sounds like you've sort of made made roots in in Australia, and um, and put down those roots, and and it's great to hear your your, your family are obviously happy there and settled there. Um, what what's life like in in Australia? Is it do you, do you like it generally? Is the lifestyle good? And Australia is a very beautiful place, as you'll know from all the image, and you've been here, haven't you? Yeah, a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. It is very, very beautiful. Um, I have struggled with the um, Australian laid back atmosphere. Um, Some people might find that attractive, but it also translates into how they deal with people. And I'll give you an example of something that happened when we um, hadn't been here for very long. 
And I was feeling really lonely. I had no friends, no family. We'd only been here a few months. And there was a knock on our door one day and it was a neighbor from across the road. And I had said hello to him on a, on a number of occasions. And our, his son used to play, played with my son every now and again. And he came and he knocked on the door and he said, oh, hi, Jill. Um, I, I just thought I would um come and let you know that on Saturday night we're having a big party Um. And I I'm, I could feel a little bit of um, excitement building because I thought, oh, my God, we're going to get invited to a party. This is going to be our opportunity now to meet people. He said, yes, I'm, I'm turning 50. And I said, oh, congratulations. And he said, but I just wanted to let you know in case there's any cars that might block your driveway. And I will tell people not to park near, you know, too, too close to other people's houses. But anyway, I just wanted to let you know that. And then he turned on his heel and he walked away. Wow. And I was left gobsmacked I could not believe that that was acceptable because we would never do that in Ireland mm. mm-hmm. we wouldn't no no wow and that sums up the Australian mentality it's not that he's not a nice man or that you know he was coming to hurt me it's it's nothing like that it's just very laid back completely different outlook Maybe this man has never stepped outside his comfort zone and he doesn't really know what it's like to live away from your 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 network and to be on your own like we were. Um, and I suppose some people just don't have the capacity to empathize with others if they haven't been in, in that situation themselves, you know. Um, and I've learned over the years now to to change my perspective on that. But for a long time, I'll be honest with you, Jono, I was quite bitter. Mm-hmm. And I used to be really angry and I used to think, you know, that they're just so rude and, you know, and I I judged them. And, you know, when I, anytime I'd see him on the road, I'd, I'd ignore him. And, you know, I was I was, I was really, really, really annoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm sure you'll you'll ask me about my, my drinking um, in a minute. But, you know, in since I've become sober, I've been sober now for three years and close to three months. I I've changed my perspective in so many ways and 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 I'm really really friendly to that neighbor now because <laughs> I, I I have to just accept that he's got a different way of being and it's not that he was being mean and and even if he was being mean I I prefer to turn the other cheek now and just be friendly and he'll he'll never know how hurt I felt that day. Mhm. Mm-hmm. That sounds a very again a very difficult experience and and um and as you describe, one of the things I guess I would think about life in Australia is that while it's a beautiful place, it's it's a long way from from home. Very and, long. And that's the sense. Kilometers. <laughs> yeah, and, and I suppose that's the thing that one of the things that struck me in your your article where where you you spoke uh, again as you described there quite powerfully about your your life of of dependency on on alcohol and and. That's that's a very big issue, uh, as you rightly said, in, in Irish society. Um, and it's not an easy issue to to talk about. And I think that's one of the things that that really um, touched me about your article, because you were you were very upfront about about um, how you found yourself kind of entering into that kind of journey in a way. And, and I suppose I wonder, can you describe for our listeners a little bit about what, what that looked like for you to kind of enter into that sort of life of of dependency and i guess it often happens almost without us noticing it well 
my own experience look everyone everyone has their own experience of drinking and um i can only speak about my own and and i can tell you that um i had a lot of anxiety and i there were a couple of things happened to me as a child that were quite traumatic and i developed a lot of anxiety and at the age of 11 i discovered um i found the bottle of winter's tail in the good room <laughs> in the cupboard <laughs> and i remember i can still remember to this day sitting on the carpet in the the good room and taking a big long slug out of the bottle and it tasted really weird obviously but as it went down my throat it didn't take long at all for the anxiety to go mm. and that was when i thought oh my god this is wonderful i had found a way not to feel so anxious and you know i I wouldn't have known at the time, I wouldn't have been able to put words on what I was feeling, but what I was really feeling was I was feeling I didn't belong, I, I felt lost, I felt unloved, I felt insecure. And and that drink that day made me feel better for a time. Mm -hmm. And so it became my go-to all through my life. Um, you know, I've, like everyone, um, life is not easy um, at times, and I self-medicated with alcohol um and you know it, it's such a an accepted part of of life in in ireland and in england and you know you go to a party it's okay to get drunk you know you go to someone's house and it's okay to have a glass of wine you have the beer you have this you've that everywhere you go it's a drink um and when i was working in london i had a high-flying career but we used to go out at lunchtime and we used to have so much to drink. I used to be drunk in the office. Now, that was London in the 80s. You wouldn't get away with it now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, the drinking culture was pervasive. And um, I suppose we didn't have the awareness then that we have now of the damage that it does to the, the, the delicate balance of the brain, you know, the brain chemistry, um, the, the, and how... You know, in, in my article in the Irish Times, I wrote the line, um, I asked myself, am I depressed because I'm drinking or am I drinking because I'm depressed? And there was only one way to get the answer to that question, and that was to stop drinking. And it took about six months. And one day I realized I'm not actually depressed anymore because, Jono, the, the wine was making me feel depressed. I was suicidal at one point. And the only reason I didn't end my life was because I could not do that to my kids. Mm -hmm. um, but I was really, really depressed. Now, anxiety is one thing and stress and feelings of insecurity. That's one thing. But depression is something else. And I could have easily gone to the doctor and got antidepressants. But I'm really glad that I was able to take a step back before I did that. And I was able to, to find the root cause of my depression. Now, my anxiety didn't go away because I, my anxiety comes from my thoughts and it comes from you know, not having proper coping strategies to to deal with, you know, the, the stuff that life throws at us all mm -hmm. the time, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but I have, in my sobriety, developed those strategies now, such as deep breathing and um, being in, in nature and feeling a connection to the higher power in the universe and um, and compassion and empathy for myself and for my fellow man and all those beautiful things that um, were awakened in me when I stopped numbing the pain. And as you described, like, that's amazing. You're, you're just, I always think even in your article, you're very eloquent when you talk about those things. And, and um, would you 
identify a sort of a, a particular turning point for you where you decided, you know, it's a big decision to 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 stop drinking when that's just been such a, a kind of a a regular part of your life for for a long, long time. Yeah, it was um, a part of my life for over 40 years. Yeah. And, and the turning point was. Um, so one evening about four years ago, my husband and I, like we always did, sitting in the kitchen, you know, quite sad we were really sitting there knocking the wine back. You know, it wasn't as if we were having a lot of fun. We were just drinking for the sake of it. And it was a Friday night and, you know, we we were well into our second bottle of wine and the kids were watching telly. And they came into the kitchen, they burst in the door and I looked at them and I thought, God, what's happened to you guys? They looked as if they, they, they I thought they'd seen a ghost. And they said, mommy, mommy. One of them said, my son said first, are you going to die? Are you going to die? I said, what is wrong with you? And they said, they just seen an ad on TV. It was a big campaign in Australia at the time. They were saying that more than two standard drinks a day um, is now clearly linked to, um, you know, uh, an increased risk of cancer. And they were talking about the cancer of the esophagus and breast cancer in women. And um, the kids are watching this. And then they came, and, and they were saying, you know, you, look, you, look, you're already on your second bottle of wine. That's where they say the two standard drinks is just two small glasses of wine. Mommy, you've had way more than that. Are you going to die? Wow. And I thought, oh, I looked at my husband and then then I, you know, I comforted them and I told them it was OK. And and off they went and, and continued watching their movie. Um, And I just looked at my husband and I said, they're clocking how much we're drinking. They're now getting anxious because of that. And what kind of role models are we to them? And that was the wake up call for me. And. I was I, I still hadn't come face to face with the real underlying reasons for my drinking, but that alone was enough to get me to kickstart it. Right. Yeah. So, of course, the turning point was me realizing what a shit mother I was being, excuse my French, um, and how I needed to do better. Um, but then when I finally did tackle the issue and I started going to see a counselor, that was when I realized that. The real problem was how I felt about myself and how I hated myself and blamed myself for so many things that had happened to me in my life and didn't believe that I was worthy and I was completely disconnected from myself. And then I was able to start facing them. Now my sobriety is is the most important thing for me for me to keep me in the best place I can be, um, so that I can be the best I can be for others. If you, yeah. if you hear what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hear of course, that. I, I want to do this for my kids. But I also, you know, they say when you get on an airplane, you put your own, If in the case of an emergency, you put your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. Now, I yeah. never I never thought about that before, uh, before I, I embraced my sobriety. Um, but now I, I get that and I realize that I have to love myself and I have to care for myself and I have to you know, show compassion towards myself before I can really be the best I can be for others. Absolutely. Yeah. So powerful, though, just that that kind of, um, I suppose, increased self kind of realization or self-awareness, really, in yeah. terms of going on that that journey. And and I guess, you know, I I've journeyed with various people on 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 the similar sort of journey. And um, and I always think it's it it takes such courage to kind of take the first step and say, you know, I'm going to going to stop. And then yeah. 
it's how do you go about doing that? Did you go down the route of of AA or did you go down the route of um, a, a treatment center or did you do uh, just say I'm stopping and that's it? Or did you? Well, do the first the first thing was I was very lucky that my husband was on board with me and we both looked at each other and said, right, this is it. We've got to do this now. I mean, we had tried, you know, we'd given up for Lent and we'd yeah. done a hundred day challenges in the past. And we thought, aren't we great? We cannot drink for three months. Let's get rat arsed. Yeah. You know, oh, my God, I put my life on hold anytime I gave up alcohol in the past. But this time was different. This time we were saying we are going to become non-drinkers. We're going to do that for us. Hmm. Um, and so in the beginning, I was thinking, yeah, I've got this. We're going to do this. And, and once you make, you know, once you make a decision, that's it. You know, you're determined. Right. Hmm. But about a month into it. I started to feel really bad in myself and I was getting really anxious and, you know, all the feelings that I'd been numbing with the alcohol, you know, self-medicating for a long time were really haunting me and I was not sleeping and I I, I, was, I was all over the place and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing and I was getting really worried that maybe, you know, I was going to, and, I, and, you know, you, you, my mind started tricking me. My mind started saying, you haven't had a drink for a month. That just goes to show you don't have a problem. You may as well have a drink. So I went on the internet and um, I did some research and I found a couple of organizations in Perth who are their specialist services. They, they call them AOD services, alcohol and our other drugs. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, you know, you might call them rehab in Ireland. They're not really, it's not really rehab. It's it's just more um, counseling, but specialized counseling. Mm -hmm. um, and I contacted them and they all had six month waiting lists yeah. and I sent an email to the chief executive of one of them and I said you've got to help me I, I'm desperate I, I I don't know what I'm going to do I'm going out of my mind I need help and she fast-tracked me you know she okay. felt so sorry for me and um basically I they they got me uh, someone to speak to me on the phone um and then I was allowed to once I'd been spoken to on the phone by this counselor and I ticked various boxes and given them lots of information they then said that I was allowed to attend a women's group on Thursdays. Now, these groups, they're all pretty similar, you know, along the lines of the AA where you sit around in a circle and you all abide by a code of conduct, you know, where you show respect for each other at all times and you let people speak and you you offer support and all those kind of lovely things. But that was possibly the most powerful thing for me was being in a group with women from all walks of life, and they weren't all alcohol. It wasn't all alcohol. It was some of them, I mean, they were there were women there from who were mandated to attend these services. It was either go to this or go to prison mm -hmm. um, because they had problems with methamphetamine, which is a deadly drug. Yeah, there were there was a woman whose kids had been taken off her, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm a middle class Western suburbs woman, you know, um, you know, I drive a nice car, my husband has a job, and we've got plenty of money, you know. And then I then those barriers started to break down. And I thought, but I'm just like them. We're mm -hmm. just all we're all the same. Mm. We're all just broken women who, well, broken sounds awful, but you know, we're, we're damaged in a way, you know, we've, we've had traumas. We've, we've not coped very well. We, we maybe possibly didn't get the support we needed when we were really little. You know, there was some stories of awful, awful abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, deprivation. And I'm sitting there. I mean, there's usually a, at least 12 women in, in the circle. And all ages, all backgrounds, and it, it just switches on this compassion 
and empathy for these people. You're crying with them. You're laughing with them. You're holding space for one another. And then just magically, I started turning that on myself. Mm. And I started realizing that, what I, you know, you know, I'm learning to be a counselor at the moment. I'm studying. And one of the questions, you know, if you have a client who's saying, yeah, well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm no good and I'm a loser and I'm never. And I'd say, well, if you had a friend now who was here with you and they were telling you the same thing, what would you say to them? And and it's so it's so powerful to actually just do that simple exercise. Say, well, you know, I wouldn't tell them that they're that they're a loser, that they're stupid. That they're, well, well, why would you tell yourself then? Mm. And it's the same principle, you know. When I was in that group with those women, I, I was very compassionate for them. I I I empathized, and I just wanted to, I wanted to really let them know I cared deeply about their story, and I wanted to support them in any way I possibly could. And then I said, well. If I do that for them, I surely I should be able to do that for myself too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's brilliant. That's what I learned. That's mm-hmm. what I learned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I can I ask you a little bit about um, your your spiritual life? We 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 did have a a few exchanges about that in, in the emails, and I know you you've had quite a an interesting journey with that. And you mentioned in the beginning your kind of, I suppose, disillusionment or 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 frustration or or feeling of being oppressed really by by um by the catholic church uh in which probably you grew up in i guess and like like many people in ireland and and um when you start going on a on a sort of a spiritual journey which i think your 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 journey towards sobriety has been from what you describe it it seems to me a very much a kind of a a, a spiritual journey as well and and um who who've been the kind of influences on on your spiritual life in terms of maybe people or writers or or books or whatever? I am a deeply, deeply spiritual person and I always have been. And I've always gone to no matter where I was in the world, you know, whether I was in Copenhagen or in in Brazil, I always went into a church wherever Mm. I was and I would sit in the peace and the sanctuary of a church and I would reconnect with the higher power. My my spirituality is is mine and I don't feel the need to um, belong to a particular order or um, doctrine. I have my own special relationship with God as I conceive God to be. Um, The people who have influenced me the most would probably be the likes of um, the Dalai Lama, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, John O'Donoghue and his spiritual awakenings. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I have a really lovely friend here in Perth. He's from the Philippines. He's an Irish Catholic priest, but he's very enlightened. Um, love him to bits and just love his um his approach to spirituality. Um, and I, I, it's it's interesting because I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, even though I have rejected the Catholic Church now, I wonder how, what role really it played in me becoming so spiritual. So I don't want to discount it completely. I'm sure there were, there were some good things about my exposure to faith as a young person. You know, mm-hmm. even just the act of praying and and having 
having belief that things things might get better, you know, and mm-hmm. and and about being kind to one another and you know living by certain rules like the commandments um and even the our father you know forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those you know i mean all those mm-hmm. things are, are are really really important things to remind us that we're you know we have a responsibility as human beings to to look out for each other and the serenity prayer god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference i mean that's one of the most beautiful things that get you know the people in recovery um are very familiar with that prayer um so there's a lot of little things that all add up to a big spiritual um aspect in my life really um mm-hmm. and it's funny I'll, I'll just a funny little anecdote for you is um i'm i'm making friends slowly with um you know making new friends now that i don't have drinking buddies anymore um I'm singing in a choir, but I, I met this lady who's one of my daughter's mom's friends and uh, her husband's a pastor and they're they're in the Anglican church here in Perth. And she's a really gorgeous Scottish lady. And we, we meet for coffee and, you know, just having a bit of a chat. And, and <laughs> she said something about because I didn't really know much about the Anglican church and and, um, you know, her being Scottish um you know, I see her very separately to the experience I've had growing up in Ireland. And, and she said something and, and I, I suddenly said, I said, oh, my God, I said, if it's if it weren't for the fact that we were so desperate in Ireland to just prove that we weren't English, that we clung to this archaic way of seeing the world through the Catholic Church. If only we just seen the light and we could have just all become Anglicans. I just came out with that. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing because your your belief from everything she's told me that I'm learning from her just sounds so much more evolved, you know, so much more enlightened than the, the restrictions that are put on women, especially, mm. you know, of course, I'm going to speak out for women, you know, the, our rights to, you know, our to, to 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 be the master of our own life and our body, you know, and oh, and the whole celeb- celibacy thing as well in, in the Catholic Church and you know, expecting humans to behave in ways that is just not natural. And, you know, so um, is there celibacy in your church as well? No, no it's, obviously it's, not. It's, You're married, aren't you? With kids. I'm married with two kids. Yeah, um, it's 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 a voluntary um, celibacy in the sense that, that some people choose not to marry. Um, but um, you can as, as a forced on you. No, it's not forced on you. It's not forced on you. No. And, um, um, and I, 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 I have more um trust in somebody who's married with kids than someone who claims to be all all clean and celibate you know mhm mhm well i suppose it's not, i it's not natural i know well i suppose it, it's for some people it's it's like i suppose a choice some people choose celibacy because they feel that's how they want to express in a way their their devotion or their love for God, or they they want to serve Him so wholeheartedly that they feel it would be unfair. Um, yeah, to, and and to, you're right. It's if they've chosen it, it's very different. It's to, a different it's, thing. It is a different thing. Yeah. And, and I suppose I I um when we speak about the Catholic Church, I I a little bit in reverse to your story. My dad was a a, a school teacher in a convent school, which was an unusual thing uh, for somebody of of his. Uh, religious denomination and um, yeah. so and and when my dad became very seriously ill 
um, the nuns were his his greatest supporters and defenders, and oh, they wow. changed his classroom, you know, to a ground floor, so he didn't have to climb stairs and and things like that. And um, I suppose I have a lot of friends who are are religious in terms of the Catholic Church or 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 priests or nuns, and and they've been they've been a good influence on my own spiritual journey. And it's yeah. great to have those friendships and and just to try and understand in a way where, why, where people are coming from. And, and um, even within my own denomination, as I said to you, there, there are different um, different takes on different issues. And, and um, at the moment, all the, the bishops and, and archbishops of the Anglican Church are meeting in London, in Lambeth. And oh, yeah. At, it's a conference that happens every 10 I years, every 10 years. And there, 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 there's lots of divisions and controversies in, in, in my own denomination as well. Um, right. So, but I think, like you say, one of the lovely things is is that you get to to speak about them. And and I know even when I trained, um, I I felt really blessed and privileged to meet people who who thought very differently to me, and mm-hmm. um, and we 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 kind of learned I think a lot from each other. And um, that's the last thing I'm really going to ask you. I'm kind of mindful you're, you're you're away quite soon for a, a choir practice, um, but. You know, you, you describe some of the challenges you find with with the church. And I'm going to ask you, um, how do you think and, and I'm genuinely interested to know, how do you think the church as a whole, whatever denomination might be, could reach out to those who are are searching or, or hurting or maybe those who've had difficult experiences with the church so that that they could find hope and, and healing? That's a hard question, I know. It is. And um, I'm going to go on my instinct, which is, um, I think, like anything we need, we, the church needs to be relevant. It needs to, um, it needs to speak to people in their, in their language it needs to, um, it needs to mean something to them. And sometimes the teachings of the church can just be a little bit too airy fairy for people to grasp. Um, and I think, you know, in, in everything you've been saying there about, you know, like your father's experience with the nuns, at the end of the day, it really is all, all about relationships, building relationships, building trust, being supportive and compassionate of one another. Um, and I feel that um, people are struggling a lot with isolation, with uh, mental health. A lot of mental health issues come from isolation and loneliness. Um, and so I think there is an opportunity there um, to 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 reach out to people, but it, it's going to have to be done in a way that makes people, you know, because people are afraid to um, to join churches or or you know um, institutions because they 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 want to be free. They don't want to be hemmed in. They don't want you know they they and as you know there's been a lot of negative talk as well about um churches and and what people get up to and so i think if the faith could be brought out into the community and integrated into services that are provided for people so serving like for example providing um mental health su- support to people through faith Mm-hmm. rather than the other way around. So you come into our church and then you'll find solace and it'll help your mental health. No, we'll go out with our services to reach people 
um, who need mental health support, you know, um, whether it's, you know, help with alcohol addiction or whatever. Um, and in delivering that service to people and helping people to cope with their their lot in life, they will learn that you being a person of faith are driven by something higher than you and something that is pure and meaningful and deep. And does that make any sense? Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. I think that that idea of um, people often talk about Jesus himself, about his lifestyle um, being something very attractive, you know, to those who he met. Um, there was something very um, engaged and personal and, and um, he he invested in people. Um, yes. And I think that there's something uh, in that kind of model where, where I suppose churches are trying to learn um, to go beyond their own walls. And, and like you say, to yes. go out, and it takes courage to go out into the community, just as it takes courage for people to come in. Um, it takes courage to go out beyond what's. But familiar. I think it's easier for you guys to go out, you know, because you have and, you know, especially the Catholic Church and I assume the Ang Anglican Church as well. You have got a lot of power. You have got um, a big presence in the community and you've got funding and you, you have the, 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 the capability to, to do so much. To, and, I, and I know there's a lot of wonderful work happens out in the community already with through charities and even just, you know, um, people out there doing amazing work. Um, but I think there could be a more concerted effort maybe from the, you know, the higher echelons of, of the institution to to really um exercise that power and bring hope bring healing to people in a way that's relevant yeah by just yeah. saying to somebody who's addicted who's lying in the gutter oh god will help you it it, it doesn't ring true for them yeah absolutely they need, they need to be told come and you can get counseling come and you can get a bed to sleep in come and without anything in return without them having to sign their life away and say oh, okay i'm going to be a good catholic boy for the rest of my life you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, just by being by putting your money where your mouth is by being what you say religion is meant to be all about in the end which is about being compassionate and following the teachings of Jesus and and going out in the community and, and making the, the world a better place yeah it's like it's like you're, you're, you're it's really a call you're giving us there to practice what we preach isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and, and I'm sure that Jono, I don't know you, and I, all I know is from the, the communications we've had. But I get the impression that you're already doing that, um, and I commend you because I, I I get the vibe that you're 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 a really really lovely person, and I'm I'm sure you're making a big difference in your own little community where you are, um, and I think if we just have more and more people like you, and I'm I, I'm I'm sure there are lots of people like you out there that I'm not aware of, um. But I just think the church has so much power and if only they could just use it um, on a grassroots level in the community, you know? Sure, sure. To offer these services that people desperately need. Yeah, absolutely. Because there is a shortage of services now for people in with, I mean, since COVID, there's been a massive increase, I would say epidemic levels of people who are addicted, not just to alcohol, but other drugs. Yeah. Self-medicate. Yeah. Because of high, they're in a hyper a state of hypervigilance, and they're trying to find a way to soothe themselves. Um, 
And, you know, if you could go to your local church and and there was someone there who you could talk to without any strings attached and, and they could direct you and they had the resources to be able to say, well, you know, there's going to be a council here every Wednesday from four until five. And if you come and sit there in the queue, you, you'll get to see someone and, and they'll help you and they'll put you in the right direction. That kind of thing. Open up the churches to welcome people in and, and give them the counseling that they need rather than saying, oh, you know, if you believe in God, all your problems would be solved. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be relevant. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And and you you've been really generous in, in your 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 um your thoughts and and your sharing of yourself today. And I'm just wondering if people wanted to to find you or, or to connect with you, Jill, to to explore some of your your own writings and your own journey, where where can they find you online or or can they do that? I'm very well. I welcome everyone to visit my website, which is Jill Kenny, Jill with a G, G I double L, Kenny, K E double N Y, writer.com. Okay. So it's a, a my website is is really just my hobby and it's it's writing and I, I write a blog and sometimes I invite, I might invite you as a guest blogger one day actually. And you just need to sort my website out properly though. The, the layout of it isn't very good. And I'm doing all that myself because. No, I'm not working. I'm a student. Um, I'm learning to be a counsellor. So it's a hobby. <laughs> so bear with me. Um, I'm a work in progress. Um, but yeah, so people can um, sign up to my website and then they'll receive my blog. And, you know, I respond to all the emails that I receive, even though I've had hundreds and hundreds of emails from people because of the Irish Times article. Um, yeah. But I endeavour to re- reply to everybody. That's so fantastic. And and again, I just want to thank you again for for being willing to come on and have the chat today. And um, I'm really looking forward to listening to your interview with um, Brendan Courtney on the Ryan Tuberty show. And um, I'm looking forward to getting a listen to that. And I hope you have a brilliant rest of the day. And thanks so much for for speaking with me this morning. It's been a real pleasure, Jono. And I've loved meeting you and chatting to you. And um, let's do it again. Let's do it again. (laughs) You have a a great day. Okay. Thank you you so much. Lovely to see you. Bye. I'm really grateful to Jill for sharing that powerful conversation with me today. And don't forget, if you would like to check out her blogs and her writing about her journey towards sobriety, you'll find those on www.jillkennywriter.com. If you've been affected by the discussion in the programme today, can I please encourage you to reach out, uh, perhaps in the first instance to your, your GP, or maybe to a local counselling service like the AA or other services. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. And if you were kind enough to hit follow or subscribe or even leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, that'd be greatly appreciated. Join me again next week for another bite-sized chunk of faith.